0: On the right shoulder is separation. Nobody really knows about it. Phil Ryan was kind of in Beth Iketa were my two kind of go-tos. You know, I had the training staff, but I also had some people that were working behind the scenes for me. And, and I honestly was like, well, I can get through this game. But then we sucked on turf. We, we did not do as well on turf. We were more of a... You know uh, I would say grinders you know we didn't have those quick feet and on the old line and they had well Billy Lyons inside amazing NFL uh, PJ Cohen on the outside I mean those guys were coming and they were motivated and ready to go as well and I, to be honest I felt like after a while there I was like, man I felt like a little bit like I was in a boxing match there and I was taking a lot of the punches early um, you know but we just tried to settle in big touchdown late in the half to Welsey there on that corner out didn't feel my best all game though it was one of those things where uh, I don't know if you ever if you ever played a sport and you're not 100% confident in your body you, it messes with your mind big time and I know for myself I was like I, I just got to make sure I can't take another uh, direct hit down on this right shoulder and uh, somewhat obviously it didn't play out that way but I was felt I felt like I was just grinding that whole game wasn't my best but it was enough and As a team, we just, like you said, you could tell we were going to do whatever it took to try to make sure it happened.
1: Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a podcast series proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications, as well as First Security Bank of Missoula. If you're listening to this on its release date, it's December 16th, 2020, which is the official 25th anniversary of Montana's epic 22-20 victory over Marshall in the Division 1 AA National Championship game in Huntington, West Virginia in 1995. This episode features perhaps the most pivotal and certainly the most iconic, Iconic member of that 1995 National Championship team, and perhaps the most pivotal and iconic player in the history of not only Montana football, but of the Big Sky Conference. Dave Dickinson was a dynamo out of Great Falls, Montana, a player that was a three-year starter for the Grizz, orchestrating three playoff runs in a row, culminating in that National Championship. He also won the Walter Payton Award in 1995 as the Division I AA Offensive Player of the Year, and his statistics, they're peerless. They're the reason that Dave Dickinson was named as the all-time greatest athlete in the 50-year history of the Big Sky Conference when they celebrated their 50th anniversary back in 2013. During his career, it's hard to put the numbers even into perspective. He completed 1,015 passes at a 68.7% rate for 13,486 yards, 116 touchdowns, and only 26 interceptions. His 137 touchdowns total, one of the great totals in the history of college football. His senior season, including the playoff run he threw for 5,676 yards, including 1,500 in the four playoff games. Super Dave, the legend of the fall, call him whatever you want, but his college jersey number of number 15 was retired within the same year of the completion of his college career. In 1999, he was named one of the 10 best athletes in the history of the state of Montana by Sports Illustrated during their 50th anniversary issue. In 2004, he was named the most popular athlete in the history of the state of Montana by SI, and in 2013, named the number one player in the Big Sky Conference his countdown of its 50 greatest male athletes in its 50 year history and a cherry on top in December of 2018 he was enshrined in the college football hall of fame after the University of Montana Dave Dickinson had a long and successful professional career played for the Calgary Stampeders for four seasons before then making a run at the NFL making stops with the Chargers in 2001, the Seahawks and Dolphins in 2002, and then returning to Canada to play for the BC Lions from 2003 through 2007, and then finishing his playing career with the Calgary Stampeders, where now he serves as the head coach. Dave Dickinson is a five-time Grey Cup champion, leading his teams to the CFL Championship in 1998, 2006, 2008, 2014, and 2018 and was named the CFL's outstanding player in both 2004 and 2005. An injury riddle career, but also a spectacular career. Dave has been a coach in the CFL for the better part of the last decade, including serving as the last four seasons as the head coach for the Calgary Stampeders. He led the Stampeders to the Grey Cup three years in a row, culminating in the 2018 victory in the 106th version of the CFL Professional Football Championship. All's that to say, Dave Dickinson, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of the state of Montana and absolutely one of the reasons Montana was able to claim its first national championship 25 years ago. We hope you enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions with iconic, all-time great, legendary quarterback Dave Dickinson.
2: Welcome in to the Grizz Greats, Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. And we're very happy on this episode to be joined by the quarterback of that 1995 team and now uh, head coach of the Calgary Stampeders and the CFL and a college football hall of famer, Dave Dickinson. Dave, thank you so much for being here. How are you today?
0: Well, it's been a crazy year. There ain't no doubt about that. But trying to hang in there, stay positive and uh, you know, still talking
2: football, I think that's a good thing. I think so too and let's talk a little bit of football let's talk about football right now such as it is you're there in Calgary been the head coach of the Stampeders, Peters won a Grey cup obviously as a player as a coach as well your run in the CFL is uh, as good as anyone that's ever done it but now you sit there and you kind of go well well, what are we going to do now what's this been like for you this past several months as you've been itching I know to get back into the game
0: yeah we've We ended up, you know, in the middle of August, kind of just basically uh, shutting our league down for uh, hopefully just a year, Uh, meaning that we couldn't find a way to, you know, to get all of our players and and everyone in a situation that uh, we could feel was safe. And uh, it was a huge challenge for people um, in a higher pay scale than myself, but couldn't make it work. And and when it came down that we were not going to play this year, boy, that really hit hard. I mean, Um, as I'm sure everybody in the States, Montana, when the Grizz got uh, suspended too, it, just the reality of it really hits hard. And, you know, you got to remember, um, when we look back on things in 20 years, it probably won't be that big a deal if it's just one year. But when you're right in the middle of it, it just hits you hard and you realize, um, for myself, you know, you just miss a part of you. So I have volunteered. I'm now the head coach of a phantom football team up here of 9 on nine. So I'm <laughs> going back to my roots, you know, with some Montana. I know it's usually either six-man or eight-man, but they're doing nine-on-nine nine to keep the numbers down here. So I get to coach my son, which I haven't been able to do. So there's at least one positive out of it.
1: Set the scene for us when it comes to Canada, because I've always been a, a... – Canadian football league fan because i've known so many guys that played for both the grizz and the bobcats and from washington a lot of big sky schools that have got up there to play and yourself it's been great and fun to follow your career i don't know you've had some guys now since you've been a coach that have had ties to both montana schools but what's the level of, of passion and fervor for football in canada compared to montana because you came from a place where people love football and it seems to me that there's a, a parallel there particularly when it comes to calgary and some of the other provinces in the country
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think football's um, at the scale here it is in the States. I mean, to Canadians, hockey's number one, and that's probably not changing. I kind of feel like, you know, hockey and football is pretty similar as far as the mindset. Um, They've got these kids, you know, their proteges at three, four years old on skates going crazy. That's the number one passion. But we do have a nice following, a good loyal uh, group of, of fans and also it's a little bit older. Uh, There's tons of history and people, I believe the CFL athlete is the most successful athlete, meaning that, um, you know, we just, they're doing it more because they love the game. Yeah, you can get okay money and we love competition, but football's kind of in these guys' blood. So they they get out in the community and there's a lot of free time up here in Canada. I mean, basically we play for six months and you have six months off and and the guys go fit in in the community. It seems like the fan support is, is best for those players that, you know, uh, spend time in the, their home city and and make a difference in the community and you know we've got a solid 20 25 000, uh season ticket base uh, people that have been here for a long time um, and then basically from that point on uh, you know we're fighting for that new age fan um, certainly soccer is a is sport that's getting more popular up here and basketball and that sort of stuff so um, you know, we want to stay relevant, and and I believe our game and our brand is is big time. I think if you watch any games, you'll enjoy it, and you'll see the level of a player and talent that's on the field. We just got to get it out there a little bit more.
2: You know, it's interesting. The CFL obviously is uh, has slightly different rules from what American football is. But when you played at the University of Montana. You really ran a system that was kind of on the cutting edge when you talk about the spread and the throwing it all over the place. How much did the offense that you and and Coach Reed, Coach Dennehy, Coach Pease kind of put together, prepare you for what came in the CFL as as it's a little more wide-open game?
0: Very true. You know, I want to throw Coach Flew in there too, you know, a guy that obviously uh, I, I I felt like did a great job with me, um, Robin Flugratz. It actually wasn't that different. In fact, uh, there was an extra player. It was the only thing. Uh, so basically, most of the sets up here are either, you know, four wide with two running backs. But most people have gone to a, like a 51 set, uh, which is very similar to down there when we were playing that spread offense, which was a 41 set. Uh, uh, definitely, you know, you had to learn the defenses and and the, and all the motion that's incorporated in our game. We basically let everybody move uh, some at the line of scrimmage if you're off the LOS and you can really be creative, and I think that's what makes it fun, but it also, there's not such thing as like a bunch of pre-snap reads, because everyone just kind of hangs out, and then as the play develops, you start seeing the defenses, and and the clues, and the tips, and that sort of stuff, so uh, I always felt that, for me, if I was in shotgun, and I had a chance to basically kind of uh, see the whole field, I could figure it out, Um, that's probably one of the reasons I didn't feel like I was quite as good, or, or had as a good a chance to make the nfl back in those days it was under center um i didn't see as well being 510 uh couldn't uh um, you know my arm strength wasn't anything more than average so being in the shotgun i could create a little bit extra zip on it by uh kind of shuffling up into the pocket and creating that extra zip and and uh, the game that uh, the montana was playing with don reed was very similar to the cfl and it was a fairly easy transition i mean the players are better but that doesn't mean that the game was that much different. And it was a throwing game. I mean, quarterbacks win games up here in Kansas. They don't just manage them. That's a big difference. And that's the same now in the NFL. But back when I was trying it, it was more of just manage it, don't make a mistake, check it down. If you have to punt, so be it. That, to me, is why I always felt like CFL is just, uh, to me, is a more exciting game.
1: Take us through that portion of your career. You graduate from the University of Montana. You go to Canada with the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, success right away second year win a great cup by 2000 you're the most outstanding player in the cfl and then you decide to come back and make a a run at the nfl and play in the nfl for a couple years what was that portion of your career like and what what was the leap going from the cfl to the nfl but then what made you then return to the cfl back in 2003 What, what was that whole uh odyssey like for you
0: yeah, well, I mean, I, I had a guy here in Calgary, Jeff Garcia. Most people don't recognize that name. Good quarterback. Um, I think like one of the toughest guys I've ever been around. I mean, right there with the toughest uh quarterback slash players that I've ever played with. Um, just competed and obviously made it in the NFL too. Um, so I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, but I the money up here. The first year, I want to tell people that I made twenty six thousand Canadian. You think about how glamorous professional sports is, and then you think about you're going to go up there and risk your body for 26. I, I just wanted to play, and I've always loved football more than anything else. I did all right at school, but I wanted to play football. and So to me, I was going to play as long as they'll have me. And, and like you said, I was able to to get my opportunity when Jeff went to the NFL. And uh, first year, I actually dislocated my shoulder, the left shoulder, second game, tried playing for the entire season dislocated another dozen times, um, was just a very tough year, very hard year, got it fixed after that, go on to win an MVP the next year and that that was kind of the one that set me up um to the NFL. And I wanted to take a shot, even though I didn't want to go down there and just try to get money. I wanted to try to play and I thought I had a good opportunity with San Diego with Mike Riley. When I got there it really wasn't uh Unfortunately it just didn't work for me. They signed Doug Flutie and then drafted Drew Brees and, and that's just the reality of sometimes getting into a situation where, you know, you're you're probably not the best guy anyway. They're probably better than you, but um you know, it just didn't quite fit. I wanted to go in and try to be a backup and then if you're a backup I believe you'll play and once you play that's when you either make it or you don't and just never worked for me. So the two two years in NFL teams, you know, San Diego to Seattle to Miami to Detroit uh, what it did, it, it, it kind of pulled a little bit of love of game out of me. I never played. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of great friends. I didn't feel like part of those teams because you're getting cut so much. And I, it was, it was the right move just to come back to Canada in 2003. And, um, you know, to be honest, uh, that playing is what's fun. I mean, uh, the rest of it to me is just, you can make a good living in the NFL, but you want to play and, uh, I enjoyed, really did enjoy my time up here in CFL and to get back at it and actually make a difference and, and win some games
2: yeah. and have some some impact on your teams. That's what it's all about. You know, I think most folks associate you with, with Calgary at this point, you know, certainly as a player and now as a, as a coach and in management and so on. But when you returned to the CFL, you spent four or five years with the BC Lions and having not been there before, what was it like to come back to that? And what was the league like when when they know how good a player you are and now you're coming back several years hence? I mean, that would that that seems like that would be big news, make waves. What was that experience like for you there?
0: Well, my uh, coach at, at Calgary when I left was Wally Buono. He's a legend. He'd, he'd be basically like the Don Shula um you know maybe even bill belichick uh but he's he's the best there ever was up here and uh uh, he went to bc and so i wanted to come back to calgary i I like calgary best partially it's great organization uh like the city but it's the closest to montana too and i like being close to montana i understand i got to make a living and it's a a job i love but i want to be as close to montana as i can so i wanted to come back and it just didn't play out they uh They kind of just wanted to move on, which uh, that's fine. Uh, So I followed Wally to BC, loved my time with the Lions. Uh, It was an organization that had done okay with the success, but couldn't uh, get the fans basically back on board. And uh, I ended up replacing a guy named Damon Allen, Marcus Allen's brother, who is the most yards passing, uh, second most now to Anthony Covey up here. Great player. He was getting up there a little uh, older guy, so – it certainly wasn't the easiest transition as far as a lot of fans had support for him, but we kicked it off. And, you know, by about the third, fourth, fifth game, we started rolling pretty good. And, and uh, we had a lot of success there in BC, all to me, positive times. Uh, I When I look back, I think it was the right move for me to get out of Calgary and join a coaching staff that believed in me and was going to give me every opportunity to win. So um, yeah, I came back to Calgary in my last year, 2008, uh, played for, a guy named John Huffnagel, who had coached multiple NFL teams down there, you know, Peyton and Tom and Eli as a quarterback coach. And everything's kind of worked out. You know, I've been pretty fortunate. I, whether it's myself making the opportunities count or uh, hitting the right situations, uh, it, everything has kind of worked out for me.
3: Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more.
1: Your career as a whole, I mean, you played professional football for uh, more than a decade. And I, I know you had a ton of success, five Grey cup championships, a, a couple MVPs along the way, but also some injuries as well. How would you sum up just the entire time as a professional football player uh, and just the way that it influenced now this transition into the coaching world?
0: Well, I like to tell people, hey, you know, I I was up here for a long time, but I didn't play that much. I probably only had, you know, five to seven years as the starter. And uh, when I say that, some of the years I was a starter, but I got knocked out. I had a couple years that were tough years uh, health-wise. And, you know, I don't know. I felt like when I was playing, I was right up there with the best. But unfortunately, I put my team in tough situations at times. Uh I just my body and I just I played a style that did it was not conducive to just being like a a guy that sits there and plays forever like Drew or, or Tom Brady or these guys. I just that wasn't my style. I, I didn't give up on plays. I tried to fight for extra yards. I uh I probably took some undue risk and some hits that I shouldn't have and it did obviously catch up with me. But to me it was just like play as like as a kid. I mean, I just remember playing in the yard with Riverview Drive in Great Falls with, with um, you know my neighbors, the Arnson family, the Benioff family, and just basically just having fun but uh, doing everything it took to win. And if it didn't win, I was pissed off, usually headed home with a bad attitude. That's the way I played pro, too. I really didn't care what happened. I just want to win. And that, that attitude is obviously maybe not the best as far as sportsmanship, but that's what I've had my whole life, and I believe it served me well.
1: We'll get into your awesome time at the University of Montana, but last question on the CFL. Uh, After your playing career is done, what was the number one motivating factor or the the number one thing that made you want to stay in Canada and become a coach at the professional level?
0: Yeah, I I realized, see, coaching has its toll on your family. That's the tough thing about it. And it's not a, usually it's not a very stable life. And, you know, my wife had moved around a lot. Uh, My wife, Tammy, Uh, when we played obviously and she just did everything for me I mean I didn't I don't remember moving out of anywhere because she did it all and basically uh, most people that have success there's somebody in the background that's doing a lot of the stuff that's helping them and she was doing that for years so I told her hey you know when I'm done um, she's a farmer she's a graduate of the University of Montana I said you know you decide where we live she wanted to stay in Calgary Um, I approached the uh, the coaching staff, and I got basically a six-month job. I wasn't sure if I'd love it. Uh, I love football, but, um, you know, I also realized, you know, I had two young kids, and I wanted to make sure I was a good dad, and that first year wasn't great until about halfway through, and then I just got the bug. I, I It's just like teaching, and you know what? The competitive juices still flow, so your body can't do it. Your mind still can coach, and, and you're still a big part of it, and and I really just, honestly, it's just a uh, love competition. I love a team too. Like, you know, you can do anything on your own; it's fun. But when you can accomplish something with a bunch of people that you respect, and and you're part of something that's hopefully puts a little legacy behind your name, that's that's what it's about. So, coaching allowed me to stay to do that. I feel like I really haven't worked. I work hard. I put a lot of time in, but. It's, it's a job that you enjoy, so that's a that's a super big positive. But, you know, hopefully it keeps happening. I thought I might be a lifer up here in Canada. Hopefully the league comes back strong, but, um, you know, this COVID has certainly made me look elsewhere, and, and uh,
2: you know, we'll see where life takes me. Well, if you're still going to the office four days a week when there's not even a season happening, I'd say you're probably in the right profession, you know? <laughs> Seems like something you do like.
0: Yeah, but I'm in here talking football, you know, So I don't know I could be doing this. Yeah. No, we tried to stay with it. Uh, we'll ultimately things have slowed down, but coaches as well as athletes are scheduled people. And it's not like I'm here at six. I, I dropped my son off. He went to school this morning and you know, you're here at nine and you, you know, you, you hang out till noonish and then you're off. So it's an off season. is a is a very nice schedule in Canada, and we don't recruit as much. We yeah, we try to look at film and get players, but we're not grinding it kind of like the college, where you're on the phone all the time with players. Uh, so there's things to be done, but certainly uh, I would say the college coach, it, you know, has some different challenges than a pro coach.
2: I want to take you back to uh, the state of Montana and your days at Great Falls, and you talked about the style that was kind of your style. We know about the running quarterback and the, the, the trying to extend plays and, and one of the great playmakers ever. Where did Was that just always innate to you, or is there a time maybe in high school or whatever where you feel like you really developed that along the way?
0: Mm, I think it was pretty innate. I think I played a lot of different sports. I would suggest kids do that um you know and I, I wish they weren't so organized I wish you you know guys could just go and figure out their own rules and you know, just as easy guys it's just you know I I, I see people up here they call it dryland training and basically they're young kids and they're trying to hire coaches and our dryland land training was go to the park whether you're you know chasing around on the on the monkey bars or doing other stuff or you're right. playing games in the it, that was our dry land training, and it it proved very good for us because I always played with older kids. My brothers a year older than me, and my kind of mentor Tony Arnson down there. You guys probably know that name. He he was five years older than me. He's been around. We just always played with older kids, and that I was I kind of took a beating. I kind of was the guy that was a little runt, but I never gave up, and and it just kind of right. That's the way I played. I don't. I never thought I could out athlete anybody, but watching old tape and. This year, when the Grizz played Oregon, I went back and watched some of the game, and we played Oregon in 93, and I had forgot I was pretty damn shifty. I got away from a lot of dudes back then, <laughs> and uh, I was pretty impressed. I tried to tell my kid to watch, hey, watch your daddy, or he was he was not that impressed, but <laughs> I was able, for some reason, I, had a, I could feel guys, I could just make a move, and like you said, I, I didn't get away every time, certainly I probably took some big hits, I didn't need to, but. For the most part, I think that's what made me, uh, you know, the player that I ended up turning into.
2: Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank. And Coulter, while First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in
1: 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second-ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team as well as Fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula. Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And, of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship.
2: First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana.
1: I've talked with people around the state about this quite extensively, but at the time you were at Great Falls CMR and Jack Johnson was at the height of his powers, one of the great coaches the state of Montana has ever seen, it seemed as if CMR itself was uh, not only a football factory not only a a place where a ton of division one prospects are coming out of but a quarterback factory too and that extended all the way through the 90s into the 2000s and you had guys like Ryan Leaf and Brady Leaf and it it seemed like if you were the starting quarterback at Great Falls CMR for about 20-25 years you had a chance to go division one is there anything you can point to in terms of the way that that program was able to cultivate quarterbacks yourself and then after you as well?
0: Well, I think Coach Jay, honestly, was well ahead of most high school coaches. I mean, film study, organization, accountability, uh, motivation—he um, was—he was—he was on point. I mean, he was modeling himself after Vince Lombardi. I mean, he was a Packer guy. Our uniforms looked just like the Packers, and he was modeling our program basically with the same sort of—you uh, know—I guess it'd be camaraderie, but also uh, accountability and leadership is needed from inside the room. And, and he was just a, a great mentor, but you got to look at the staff that CMR had it was the same guys forever. And they locked us down and did a great job. And they, it was from the get go. You were, you were working back then. I don't know if I'll get them in trouble, but they're supposed to do these voluntary workouts in gyms. I mean, you were in ninth grade and you were in the gym at seven in the morning playing football. Um, because coach j had everybody i mean it was clockwork he, he knew who you were from probably fifth grade on and you were just going to get fitted into to his system now i would say cmr did develop or did change like before i got there you know tim taff great quarterback obviously i think one of the best but he was handing the ball off quite a bit still um and when i got there you know we didn't have any really running back so then they they morphed it to let me throw a little bit more and you know, a name, Jeff McRoy, that people in Montana probably don't know as well as they should. I mean, he had 25 touchdowns his senior year as a receiver. I mean, that's insane. Uh, as in, and we only played uh, 10 or 11 games back there. They played Perfect. a lot more games. So, uh, and Coach Jay moved us into a passing system that year. And obviously, that's kind of where the game has gone. But. He did it earlier. So those are the best coaches, the ones that see your talent on your team, adapt the system to fit, but still don't give up on what they know is winning football, which to to him was discipline, uh, making sure you were accountable to your teammates and and executing at a high level.
2: When you were getting – Uh, you know, finishing up your high school career there at CMR and and trying to decide where you were going to go, was there a decision to be made or was it always going to be the Grizzlies? What was that process like (laughs) for you to go from high school to the University of Montana?
0: Well, I'll tell you a quick story because I like to tell stories. Uh, I got letters from USC and, and Illinois and Texas and Tennessee, and I didn't return any of them. (laughs) <laughs> I, just, I just figured I'd get lost. I did. I figured I would get lost in those big schools. And so I, I wanted to play, you know, I wanted to play first off, and I knew the Grizz was going to be tough for me to crack the roster. I mean, I was a little guy, um, you know, so I, I, the Grizz was priority one. I, I definitely took my trip to Montana state um, their coach. It didn't last too long mentioned to me that, you know, if I didn't play quarterback, I could find another position. And I told him, I said, Hey, I, I can't, I can't kick. And that's the only other position where my body type can fit. So I'm playing quarterback (laughs) and they had signed another guy from Capitol, Ryan Grove. And I, I just, uh, that made it super easy, but I wanted to go to the Grizz. If Grizz offered, I was going, uh, if they didn't offer, you know, it might've been interesting. Would have been the cats, Carol, you know, something like that. Uh, but I wasn't going to go get caught up in this. Try to you know go to a big school and and show up there basically at five foot ten, 160 pounds, and expect to get a, a real good chance. I knew that wasn't happening. So it served me, like I said, like I said, to some of these decisions. Obviously, I might have short sold myself a little bit, but I knew who I was and I knew I could play if I got the right chance. And I thought the Grizzlies give it to me. Loved their system, so it was a perfect school for me
2: when you you made that decision you know or when you're 17 18 years old whatever it is now 30 years down the line are you happy with that decision i mean obviously everything worked out great for you at the university of montana we're going to get into that but you go well i don't know what would have been like to be at usc and and could i have shown the shiftiness that maybe other quarterbacks didn't have and and, and marked myself out yes see i think
0: that uh yeah. I wouldn't change it a bit. And even if I would have played there and it might've given you a better chance to go to the NFL, that's, that's the, to me, the big ticket. And, you know, you do want to challenge yourself at the highest level, but trust me, you know, back then, obviously I was challenged every week. Uh, the careers had another quarterback, Burt Wilberger, a year older than me, damn good player, damn good player. And, uh, in today's world, he would transfer. he would just get out once he didn't play, but he stuck it out and was a great teammate. Um, uh, but to be honest, uh, yeah, I wouldn't change it for a bit. And a championship is more important than playing on TV, in my opinion. I, I wanted to win something and put Montana on the map. And I wanted to see if we could actually win our last game, do something special. And that's to say you wouldn't be able to do that at some other school. But uh, the odds are for me, I had to realize my limitations. And what I call it the eye test. I mean, like, come on, if you looked at me, I doubt you're going to give me a real shot that people are going to pass me on the depth chart very quickly. And the only way I actually make it is if you put me on the field and that's where then I can, I feel like I, I made a difference. So yeah, everything with to me with worked out perfect. And, um, uh, to be honest, Montana, Missoula, that's the, the, my dream city. Anyway, that's the, uh, if there's anywhere that I feel is, is home besides great falls, it's Missoula. So, uh, love the mountains, the rivers, the atmosphere there, the, the the fan support. I mean, Gordy Fix, Mike Larson. These guys still basically always check in on me and and take care of me. Bobby, the Hauk family is just amazing with Tim and Bob. I mean, those are the people that you'll have relationships with that never leave. And so, yeah, everything for me worked out perfect.
1: In our conversations over the years, Dave, the two things that have always struck me and stood out to me is two things you just mentioned. The the undying passion for winning and the perspective you had of how important that was from a young age, but also the self-awareness uh, to know exactly where you were in the in the mix of what your gifts were. But it seems as if you could also use that as some intrinsic internal motivation as well. At what point did you realize how important competition and winning competitions was to you, and how big of an advantage do you think that gave you in your career moving forward?
0: I never, I never thought about, like, basically, I never thought about it in that term, so I'm a coach, but as a player, I just, listen, I was cheap. I was a little bit dirty. I was going to do whatever it took. I mean, um, I just, like, I wasn't the greatest sportsman guy. I I, I figured out, like, if I'm playing, if I have to do something a little bit to, it was more in basketball because football, I just took the blows. I just basically was the the punching bag, but when I play other sports, I'd find some way to to, to get an advantage on someone. And um, I felt like in football, the great equalizer, though, was I could use my brain and I could get the ball into the hands of the great athletes. So but as far as competitiveness, I still got it. I'm, I'm, I'm still out on uh, my court in my backyard with my kid. I don't want to lose. He, he even says, Dad, take it easy. You know, I just got to sometimes back off, <laughs> <laughs> you know, an elbow here or maybe I'll knock him a hard foul there um so you know it's just who I've always been and I do think it came right from my dad I mean he I'm a dad I let my kid win sometimes well my dad I don't think he ever did in fact (laughs) he was the one that uh you know about 16 or 17 it took till we could beat him in a lot of sports but he was that old school coach that um hard dad but a great dad that didn't when you got something you earned it you didn't get it it wasn't given to you we were we were poor and we didn't know it. We we didn't even understand that we didn't have the nice shoes and nice clothes because they, they basically got us to, this, to the events and then we took over from there. But I guess to me, you know, as a lot of parents out there too, is, you know, failure can happen, but, you know, your kids, um, I'm not into this, you know, always, hey, good try. You looked good out there. I mean, I I like to push a little bit and I want to make sure I think that – worked well for me is you know lift up your kid when it's going bad but if it's going well find a way to keep kind of keep motivated and keep them uh keep them a little bit honest and and also a little bit uh, on that uh, that edge that hey we got to pick it up there's going to be someone else in here chomping at the pitch so find your way to to get yourself better but sports to me has always been a, a, a microcosm of life it's how can you get ahead without you know basically what am I good at and how can I try to become a uh, get ahead of these other guys and that's the way I coach that's where I am as person
1: Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Podcast Series, commemorates Montana's epic run to its first national crown. Now you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompany this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 1999. Secure this limited edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, a -a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley. Visit rbagley3.com or check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link, or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and T-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today
2: you know Dave we've we've talked to a lot of a lot of folks from uh from your time at the University of Montana a lot of players a lot of coaches and just about to a man they point to uh a South Dakota State game in 1993 is kind of the the game and the moment where they thought okay we got we got someone here who's maybe a little different than what we've had in terms of being special. Do you remember? What do you remember about that game being down so big at halftime and and coming in and believing and willing that team to uh, a very unlikely victory and maybe the greatest comeback in terms of points to that to that point in the history of the program?
0: Yeah, I know the Grads have a way of doing that. They, uh, you know, the weird thing Adam Vinatieri was their kicker, who's we still playing in the NFL or at least was up until this year. Um you know, what? I, I was just trying to find my way. Um, Coach Reed had given us, uh, Bert Wilberger and myself, a deal where, okay, Dave, you start because it's in Montana. You're the Montana guy. Next game is in Oregon. Bert's Oregon guy. You guys decide who's going to win the job. And, and I thought I played decent in the first quarter, but not great. I, um, I think we've had a, a touchdown drive, and then Bert came in, didn't work out from that game. All of a sudden – second half shows up, uh, 38, seven. And I just didn't want to give up an opportunity. So whatever has been said and all that, I knew it was important for Dave Dickinson. I knew I had to play well, and I wanted to make sure the only way for a quarterback to play well is for everyone to buy in and and get after it and, and to to just play their balls out. And so that's why I kind of went in and said, guys, we got to play and we can win this thing. So whether or not that story has been blown out of proportion, I did believe we had a chance. Football is a crazy game, Um, but we made plays on defense, special teams, obviously hit a a big, you know, went deep on a fourth down to Gerns on a play that most people think I should have checked it down. or had a safe pass, but uh, you know, like I said, that was a blur 52 48 and then get benched the next week. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, yeah, it, it was, it was a great game, great comeback, but I still felt there was work to be done and, and, uh, you know, the Oregon game, obviously, the next week, uh, I thought it was another defining moment for me to play that well against that those opponents, uh, that level of quality of opponent. And I felt like by doing that, that's what kind of solidified me as a starter and took it from there.
1: At that point, 1993, Montana and, and Don Reed's program was just blossoming. I think eight, 1989 was the first appearance in the playoffs or the postseason of any sort uh, in in almost 20 years and uh, 1993 sort of the beginning of what became one of the epic runs in the history of college football quite frankly but after you lose that Oregon game you guys get red hot and you don't lose again until the playoffs but in the playoffs a 49-48 loss to Delaware what sort of impact did that loss have on the team as a whole moving into 94 and 95 and beyond?
0: Yeah, I thought our 93 team actually was a, a great team. We just didn't know how great we were, so we just kind of rode the wave. Um, yeah, we lost 49-48. Yeah, uh, you know, we ran into a system we couldn't stop. Guess what? They couldn't stop us. I mean, I think if you look at my numbers that game, that might have been my best game of my career as far as, I mean, they couldn't stop us either. We missed an extra point. After we return a kick for a touchdown, which we probably could have, I mean, maybe if he got tackled, we'd scored a less time. We would have been better off. But it was a great football game. We got us excited. We lost a lot of good players from '93, though. And that group, I think, you know, was a great group. But uh, we kept kind of maybe more of the of the when I say um, great players, but not in some of the positions maybe that are the glamorous positions. We were great up front and 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 linebacker and all that, but. We kept a a certain amount of guys for 94 and 95 run. I felt like 94 could have been special as well, but we started hitting the injury bug. Uh, I didn't even get a play. in I played maybe a quarter of a playoff game, Uh, a second one there. I had more problems there. And then uh, we we ran into a buzz at Youngstown, which they were the better team. But I thought 95, honestly, yeah. Uh, we we were peaking, and uh, you know it's good to go through some adversity. If we don't, if you remember back '95, we got we got whooped against Idaho late in the year, mm-hmm. and that was a good thing for us. That was. We figured, uh oh, you know, we better show up, and to get a little bit of good fortune of having the first three at Washington Grizzlies. I mean, the first two were going to be there because our fans. Uh, showed up, and we were the number six seed. But to get the, you know to get Stephen F. to upset the, their opponent and to get that third game on our home turf was was big time. And obviously we thought we were going to match up again against McNeese. Uh, they get beat. I don't know if that was a good thing, though, because we had to play Marshall on their home turf. They were damn good. But it did seem like a year of destiny. Um, when we showed up there, we were not given – nobody gave us a lot of chance. It was interesting. I, I was kind of pissed after the game but I didn't think that uh, people gave us the respect we deserved. Even all week, the Marshall players were kind of making fun of us. Remember uh, uh, Corey falls, you know, we didn't have a lot of black guys on the team and they were making fun of him. He he didn't want any part of it either. We were focused and the defense made a lot of great plays. And uh, you know, that to me was the kind of, like you said, the start of the Grizz being thought of as a chance to win every
2: single uh, national championship.
0: haven't won as many as I'd, I'd like to think, but certainly been a, a big factor in a lot of playoff games.
2: Well we're gonna get to that to that game and that playoff run, but I wanted to you, you mentioned, you know, in kind of in passing, you know, that you were hurt in ninety four in those playoffs. And how with such a good team again in 94 how much did that influence you if at all going into the 95 season to say okay this is this is my last shot as a senior and I got to stay on the field be ready to go and go as far as we can because you know not having been able to play I would think have to be have to have been completely frustrating
0: yeah well Boise Boise just beat the beat the heck out of me I wanted to say the swear word there but uh It's a a podcast, podcast, Dave. It's okay. You can let it rip. They beat the shit out of me, Uh, Pokey Allen. They did. But guess what? We had all summer to look at that tape, and we were ready for them in 95, and we wanted some revenge on that. If you look back at 95, and, and whatever it is, it is, but I didn't even finish most games because we were whooping people. I mean, I had so many games. I was out of some games in the third quarter. And guess what? That was a good thing for my health. So, I mean, yeah, I I think the numbers could have been astronomical in some games. I didn't play them, you know. So, uh, you know, I do feel like there was a little bit of karma there, though, because maybe the less hits on the body and and not being able to maybe have to grind out, you know, close wins um, helped me. But, you know, when it it counted, we had a tough game against the Cats late. I I remember that one as much as any because – you know, we had won so many games in a row, and I didn't want to be part of the uh, my legacy that to break the streak. I didn't. I wanted to make sure. And that was a that was a tough, tough game. I forty two thirty three or something. is in my memory, but might be wrong. Uh, but it was one of those things where that was a nice win. And then going into the playoffs, like you said, I just felt like we were peaking. We had some young players balling. Jason Crevo at the linebacker position. Uh, Joe Douglas, another guy that I think is very underrated. Um, so we just had some guys start to come into their own, and, and I felt good about it, but I also, you know, as anything, it's one and done in football. I don't even think the best team wins it all the time. Whether we were the best or not, I don't know, but you just try to get hot and make sure you put your best out there and and, 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 and do everything you can to win that one game, and that's what we did.
1: Seems like there was a ton of factors coming into 90, 1995 to motivate yourself and the rest of the program, but also there was some huge question marks, too, at the graduation of a bunch of great guys. You know, Scott Gregg's a second-round draft pick. Shalon Baker, Scott Guernsey, two of the most prolific receivers in school history. A uh, ton of guys that, uh, that graduated off the defense as well, and there was going to be some young guys that had to fill some roles. And then you mentioned Coach Flugrad, Robin Flugrad, and his influence on your career. He moves on and moves up to the, the highest level of college football um, where he stayed for, for a couple decades before returning to the University of Montana. But what do you remember? Was there any was there any sort of question marks in your guys' minds coming into that year? Or how, what did all those losses and transitions mean for you coming into the 95 season?
0: You know, when you're young or you're college, I, I don't think you just pay attention. I think you just uh... – you know, you try to make yourself just that little bit better. You know, I always hear people say 1% better, you know, get better every day. I was very confident in our offensive line. I mean, yeah, we lost Lurchie, but, you know, we had three juniors returning, uh, Zelda, Kemford, and A.G. I think were outstanding. And then my roommate was Eric Simonson, so Simo, I think, was underrated. I mean, right there with Lurchie, Um, he just didn't quite, you know, he had other things that, you know worked out different for his NFL tryouts and all that but I was very confident in our offensive line and like we needed to find Joe Douglas. I, I, well he obviously was my go-to he was my roommate when I was a freshman anyway and and, uh, and I felt like obviously when I needed the first down but I think Joe actually and and with Mike Earhart I felt like we were good offensively uh, we always seemed to find running backs I mean Kelly Stensrud was mr reliable mr clutch but we always seemed to have and we wanted past receiving running backs we wanted guys that could catch and block it was the defense that really started showing up and it took a while but they did and uh you know i'm good friends with johan say St. we still ch- talk a lot i think our d line didn't get enough credit just a a group of seven that you know found ways it was eric his brother too and and then we needed that younger group, but we always had to hit the JC market for the back end, and we found some guys. And it took—it always took those guys a little while to actually like, trust our team. You know, they show up, love Montana, but they're not too sure. And then they realize what we're about, and we start bonding, and we're 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 one. You know, we're all we're all in this thing together, and we just gelled at the right time. So I didn't have any. To be honest, I didn't have any uh, pride. I thought we had a good team. Uh, but I do think that junior class, which, uh, if you put me as the senior class, the junior class was the better class. They so we were the one with the ballers, uh, and we just rode them a little bit. Obviously, they ran into that buzz the next year with Randy Moss in uh, Marshall, but uh, that was a hell of a class. That class was excellent. You
2: know, when you hit that playoff run you see you got a little fortunate obviously with the Stephen f austin upset so they come to missoula and and much has been made of really back-to-back very cold games but i mean 163 to 14 doesn't lie i don't care where you're playing i mean that's insane right and you talked about hey the defense stepped up well clearly they did right they they pitched two shutouts and then allowed 14 whole points when you guys put up 70 that run I, you know, it was like a warm knife through butter. Did you expect that it was going to be like that when you're in the national, you know, in the national tournament? Ah, no, no way. But, um yeah, you know, we had
0: some guys, you know, Blaine McIlroy played a lot in the NFL, Goke in the back end. I mean, we just I felt like we had some good football players that were kind of that sort of gamer, you know, like when the big games came, they weren't nervous. They were looking forward to it. Guess what, though? We did ride the crowd big time. I mean, that was... Back in those... I, I was... You know, I heard some rumors when Romo was announced and then when he played in Washington, he said it was as loud as any stadium he'd ever played in NFL or college. And, I mean, we really had something brewing there and we rode that energy. And, and uh, you know, I will say, though, we were focused. Uh, I don't think we're like a big-time partying group. We We had fun, but no one was out getting in trouble it was football first over everything um uh, don't always have that and guess what a lot of distractions in the world so if you look back that's i don't feel like our team had anyone that was a cancer we were all in it together and enjoyed being around each other and you know it's just balance. you look at chemistry and how important it is you can't you can't basically put it in a bottle but i felt like we had it and obviously that was a big reason we won
3: Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more.
1: It's such an interesting factor to think about the rise and prominence of the program and the way that basically your senior class and maybe the class before you and a couple classes after you led that rise. But First Security Bank is one of the main presenting sponsors of this podcast and a great story that they told us, you know, once upon a time in 1993, when Missoula was trying to get. The FCS playoff game, I guess the Division I AA playoff game at the time. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, you mentioned some of those business owners, leads this charge to have the business owners put up the money to guarantee it in case it doesn't sell out. And as a guy that, I mean, I grew up in Missoula. We moved to Missoula in 1993. I can't imagine a Washington Grizzly Stadium that's not packed to the gills. I can't imagine a Saturday in Missoula that's not just. Grizz fever all the way around, but when you were in the moment and you were watching the momentum build, I mean, you mentioned how much the home crowd spurred you guys under that nineteen ninety five playoff run. Could you feel the mystique building? Could you feel uh, th- the fervor for the program around the community building when you guys were on your run?
0: Well, you could, and you know that that the rules have been changed because of what Bill did. You know, we used to build a bid on the games up until a certain point. Uh, you know, I think it was the first two rounds was the highest bidder. Um, and then Montana came through for us, as always. Um, yeah, it makes me chuckle because uh, um, I think Montana always, you know, and if you live, you're you not from Montana, obviously people won't, don't know a lot about it. But when you're from Montana, there's that, I don't know, that local pride that I don't know if a lot other states have. And and I feel like uh, they also wanted to do something special. Look at our stadium. Look at our facilities. Look at the people. That comes from donors and, and people that – understand that uh you know on a national stage let's do something special and and uh you know i really felt like it it showed up when i showed up there the first year when i was a freshman you yeah. know honestly you know they hadn't had to, the stadium at the grass end zones the locker room was supposed to be getting done uh that wasn't happening and then as we that uh built that momentum all of a sudden you know they start filling in the back end zones. new locker room didn't come in until the year i was done but it was still awesome and and i just feel like montana like you said it was putting itself on the map in a football sense but also hey take notice there's some pretty good things going on up north here go ahead come to our place we'll we'll give you some hospitality then we're going to go out and and whoop your tail on saturday so that that to me i love that attitude too of hey we're nice but guess what when it's time to go to work, we're going to go to work hard and, and and show you what we're all about. So,
2: all good memories. You have this great run through the playoffs, and then turns out Marshall goes ahead and makes it to that championship game, and so you're playing effectively a road game uh, in uh, in Huntington, West Virginia, against the home Marshall team. And you know, I've rewatched this game now recently a couple times. Colter and I both have, and one thing that first half, man. That defensive front seven for Marshall is something else. I mean, they got after everybody, yourself, not the least of which, and clearly that was part of their game plan, but they also had the dudes to do it. What do you remember about that game and and the physical nature of of, uh, especially that front seven of Marshall?
0: Yeah, I was, I was battling a right shoulder separation. Nobody really knows about it. Phil Ryan was kind of in Beth that were my two kind of go-tos. You know, I had the training staff, but I also had some people that were working behind the scenes for me. And, and I honestly was like, well, I can get through this game. But then we sucked on turf. We, we did not do as well on turf. We were more of a you know, I would say grinders, you know, we didn't have those quick feet and on the O-line and they had, well, Billy Lyons inside, amazing NFL, uh, PJ Cohen on the outside. I mean, those guys were coming and they were motivated and ready to go as well. And to be honest, I felt like after a while there, I was like, man, I felt like a little bit like I was in a boxing match there. And I was taking a lot of the punches early, Um, you know, but we just tried to settle in Big touchdown late in the half to Wellesley there on that corner out. Didn't feel my best all game, though. It was one of those things where, you know, I was – I don't know if you ever – if you ever played a sport and you're not 100% confident in your body, it messes with your mind big time. And I know for myself, I was like, I I just got to make sure I can't take another uh, direct hit down on this right shoulder. And uh, somewhat, obviously it didn't play out that way, but I was felt I felt like I was just grinding that whole game. wasn't my best, but it was enough. And as a team, we just, like you said, you could tell we were gonna do whatever it took to try to make sure it happened. But to give them credit. I mean, Chad Pennington's our quarterback true freshman, uh, uh, played well. You know, I think they kind of lost their composure a little bit. I mean, uh, obviously, took some penalties. Turnovers are always big, and, uh, you know, I still think we outplayed them, but it was a hell of a game. It was a great matchup. Coulter, in
2: 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank President Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered.
1: Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula Certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, Per Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. For Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana.
2: Was there a point during that game where, because it had gone so well in the first three rounds of the playoffs, and just in general the prolific nature of the Montana offense for for several years leading into that point, and certainly during the '95 season when all of a sudden you're in the national championship game and it's a defensive struggle and it's not you know coming easy on the offensive end? Were there moments in there where you go, well, well what's going on here? Is this is this really our day?
0: Uh, I remember being frustrated, but, you know, um, I'm a rhythm passer. So, like, the better we do, the better I'm going to play. And the more I'm on the field, the better I'm going to usually play. And uh, we couldn't find that rhythm. They were pretty good, though, now. They had – they had that defense sent uh, more than a few guys to the NFL. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, too, like, uh, on the road, even though we had, I think, 25, 3 grand people, we could have sold more tickets from Montana if they wouldn't give them to us. But – You know, it did feel like a road game. Um, And I do feel like we were. I thought that was the first game of the playoffs where there was early adversity. Um, We didn't catch, you know, we didn't get out to the fast start. So it certainly was a different feel. I I definitely, um, you know, I didn't feel uncomfortable the whole time. Even that 62 yard kick at the end, I didn't feel 100% confident that a kid couldn't make it. So it was. It was a 60-minute game. Those type of games are so fun to win, though, because you leave it all out there, and obviously you come out ahead. And that's that's great.
1: We talked to Mick Colleen the other day, and and he said that uh, for a long time after that game, it was basically everybody recapped it with basically uh, the the catch, the drive, and then the kick. And there's obviously the, the you know the famous Mike Earhart conversion on fourth down and, and then the drive to set up Andy Larson's field goal and then montana hangs on for the last thirty seven thirty nine seconds to win that thing but before all that there was the safety that actually proved to be the final margin of victory and broke what was a 10 to ten deadlock late in the third quarter how important was that safety to then set up the fourth quarter that you guys had where you were able to close marshall out
0: yeah I mean I think our d was playing one of their best games as they had a great run, you know, yeah, as an offensive guy, I get tired of hearing defense wins championships, but let's be honest. They, they definitely were the leader in that game. (laughs) Um, but it was a full group again. I mean, we just had a bunch of guys playing hard playing well. Um, yeah, like you said on that, I, I do feel like that we need, we played better with the lead. It wasn't a big lead. They never quit though. And then you know I don't even think about it on the on the throw to Earhart on the slant uh, on their best corner on the right side. It was just the right read. I had confidence he would win. You know, Mike. Uh, you know, I, for a big man, Mike was quick, and is uh, who knows he's still quick. But he had those good feet. And it was one of those when you're behind. I actually never when I'm behind and making a throw like that, a foot down to me, I throw it nice and free. I I feel good. It's when you're ahead and you know the only thing that's going to help you maybe or could potentially lose a game is an interception. Those are the times when sometimes I would check myself and make sure I made a, a safer throw rather than just let it rip. And sometimes I didn't throw it as well. An example, I had Wells at the flat late in that game. I should have completed that ball. But I knew we were in field goal range. I didn't want to make a mistake, short-armed it a bit. But the throw to Earhart, 100% confident. Same to Guernsey that South Dakota, 100% confident. You know, I feel like uh, sometimes you're a little freer on those fourth down calls when you're behind. And um, still, we had a lot of field to, to 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 chomp up there to get into position. So, all that I enjoyed, you know, with all this free time, I'm with you. I've watched more um, old games of mine. One thing I noticed is, man, the TV was crap back then. <laughs> like, the, the quality of what people get to watch now. I mean, you watch those old games, and, and yeah, the – quality of the coverage and the angles and the just your screen is I, I didn't realize it's so bad now that we're watching this nice high def stuff so anyway yeah it was in doubt but we came through
2: which is it's basically all that matters when you finish the drive and, and Andy makes the kick, and like you said, you weren't even for sure that, that the, the other guy wasn't going to make the 62-yarder, but it's all said and done, what what was the emotion? What what do you remember most about those just moments yeah. immediately after the final gun and you're a national champion?
0: Well, I kind of felt, to be honest, I wasn't sure I was going to play again because, like you said, I know my limitations. I thought I might have a chance, I might not. I thought, to be honest, it might be it, and I was pretty – happy you know I just wanted to make sure our last game was uh, potentially something that no one could take away from you know I had the whole family my sister was in town she she doesn't get a you know my brother's a coach and was coaching and he's football this and that but my sister Amy uh, obviously she's a teacher a lot of people probably don't even know she's my my brother Craig's twin she's there and so we got all our family there and it just, to me, it just felt right. It just felt like, okay, tie a bow on this baby. This is a great way to go out. And then I played 13 more years as a pro, but hey, um, right. at the time, I thought it might be it, and I I would have been fine with a football career right there. Um, I remember basically, yeah, uh, see, I'm one of these guys that lives in, like, history, legacy. I want to do some something that I know they can't take away at any point. Uh, anybody can take it away. And I have always live that way. I want to be part of something. It's not about records to me because I understand things change and all that. But when you're a champ and you get to accomplish something with a group of guys that ain't leaving you. And that was in high school. I The high school state championship games at CMR, I felt we were as big a game as anything until you get to the next level. But, I've always been that way as far as let's make sure you're let's do something that can't get taken away. And that was important for me to finish it off. Right. And it was a relief. I mean, I'm happy, but both, a lot of my championships I've won. It's more of a relief. Yeah, we did it, but I can't tell you that it's like, I feel like over the top, I'm exhausted. It's been a grind. I want to party and have fun, but I was so tired and just so mentally and physically out of gas. It was one of those things where it was just a big breath and just a bit of relief that, you know, yeah, we did do it. it we did actually win championships, which to me was what it's all about.
1: Well, many, many stories from a lot of your former teammates and coaches and, and affiliated media guys and stuff about what the experience was like when you get back to Missoula immediately, but I want to ask you about the experience of being in Missoula then, because you didn't actually go up to Canada until 1997, so a little bit of time in Missoula, and I remember when I was a kid... Uh, you gave a speech at the uh, the opening of Little League Baseball, and then you had a line of kids giving autographs. I still have your autograph on my baseball glove years ago, and it's, it's crazy for me to have this whole thing come full circle from being a kid now to just being an adult and doing this awesome podcast with you. But what was that year or so like? Because, I mean, you were one of the great heroes the state of Montana had seen. And for a 22-, 23-year-old kid, that must have been, at the same time, really awesome, but also probably pretty trying, maybe stressful as well. What was that moment in time like?
0: Well, I did come to Canada. In 96 I came to Canada, but no one really knows that because I didn't play any games. But a good story on that baseball, I remember that. Kenny Stanger, my agent, obviously know, set that up. Um, big baseball fan, Kenny's past.
1: Yeah, Kenny was my next-door um, neighbor growing up my, my yeah. uh, whole life, so I, I remember that vividly as well.
0: Well, I'm probably in hello to Mary out there, but basically, uh, that was draft day. That was NFL draft day. And, uh, I remember it because I I had a pretty good feeling I wasn't going to get drafted. I, I did, I did celebrate and enjoy myself. and had a good run and down at the stocks, um, doing my thing uh, after the championship and I wasn't invited to the NFL combine and, uh, um, I'm saying two days before somebody pulled out and Kenny called me and says, Hey, they say you can go. So I'm like, I'm in. Well, I didn't know any of the damn drills. I, I showed up. I had a pair of track shoes and a pair of high tops to throw in. They wouldn't let me do any of the testing in the, the track shoes. So I ran all my 40 yard dash, my jumps in my basketball high tops. I mean, it was kind of to me, it was almost, comical, like how unprepared I was, meaning that today's athlete has every advantage and knows everything. And I was just honestly, I didn't think I was going. So I was preparing for a pro day, but I'm not even sure anyone was going to show up for that because uh, we didn't do much. So it's just a different time. I remember I ran the Olympic torch relay. Um, another story, Kenny got me that because a lady from Delta got sick and literally, the night before, Ken says, she wants you to run the torch relay for her in Salt Lake. You want to do it? I said, hell yeah. So I get on a plane that next morning, go down, still got that Olympic torch from the 96. So there was a lot of things that kind of definitely were just thrown on my plate, and I tried to take advantage of them all. But the first and foremost is I wanted to play at the next level. So I got the chance, but it, it wasn't smooth. I'm going to tell you that. it was It was hard work to break in at any level, but... As far as the celebrity status, I, I'm a pretty down-to-earth person. I enjoy talking to people that don't know me, uh, meaning I would rather – I don't care if you know I play football or not. I would just – let's figure out if you're a good person. And that's the thing about Montana that I think is so special. You don't get that everywhere else. Most people, it don't matter, you know, I could be from Great Falls, Plentywood. I could be Billings. When you're from Montana and you have success, people root for you. And that's not always the case because in today's world, they always want to tear you down but I really feel like the Montana sport is something you don't get everywhere else. So always appreciative and happy that it it worked out the way it did.
2: Dave, I'm wondering, what was your relationship like with coach Reed and what do you remember about him?
0: Yeah. The, um, love, I haven't seen enough of Don, um, but, uh, I wish I honestly did a better job of staying in touch with people. Um, uh, especially Coach Reed, because he has such a special part. You know, it's crazy because he, he's kind of that, I didn't realize, kind of that mad scientist, bit of a paranoia, worried that people were watching practice, sending people up to the M to make sure no one's filming us up there. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah, I didn't know about all this stuff until my brother told me he was coaching with him. And, you know, we just felt like Coach Reed was was honestly kind of like your father, grandfather had our back, cared for us, really was more than football. Didn't realize all the X's and O's and those type of things um, because he delegated a lot of that to his assistants It did an excellent job. So, you know, I miss him. I, I, I do. I, I know I, I just life gets busy and I don't do a great job of staying in touch with people that I respect and love and I feel like, oh, I'll catch him down the road. I'll do this or that. And he's a guy I wish uh, we had more conversations. Uh, Nick he came up, saw me uh, last year here, and still saw Coach Pease and some of those. I didn't see Coach Reed enough, and I I, I feel like I could have done a better job or should be doing a better job of that. So maybe this podcast will spur me to be a better man and and make sure Don knows how much we we love and respect him and, and appreciate the job he did for us.
1: That coaching staff, the the paths that they all took after that. I mean, Coach Pease, he rose to be one of the premier offensive coordinators in all of college football, and and Robin Flugrad, so many great years in the Pac-12 before returning to Montana and being the head coach here, and you know McDenahi with his time at Utah State. So, so what have you thought of just the way that that coaching staff? It seems as if that's an affirmation to how innovative and great the offense was. The fact that all the offensive assistants basically matriculated throughout college football and had so much success individually outside of Montana.
0: Yeah, I think I think obviously. But they had a system and they believed in it and they found the players to fit it. And, uh yeah, you know, Jerome Sowers had a hell of a career. I, I mean, I know he was at NAU, but... You don't go down and have a head job for 20 years and not be a hell of a coach. And it was, you know, Bruce Reed made it to the NFL. Uh, You know, we had some coaches and guess what? If you don't have coaches, you, you, I'm a coach now, so I'm biased, but listen, they're, they're the ones that make the player's job easier. If the player had to do all the work, they probably, first off, aren't qualified. If you can give them the little hints, give them the little tips, keep them accountable, keep them working, keep them grounded um you know you're their foundation and then the player makes the coach look good that's basically what it is so and i believe in that i've always felt coaches need to get out of the way they lose more games than they win but they still provide the foundation they, they if you get the right coach he's the one that's going to make that just a little bit easier for you which ultimately uh, i think puts you over the top so definitely our staff a lot of great guys a lot of characters too davy reeves i mean my brother was in there too and just uh, a lot of characters. Billy Cockhill came, you know, from that staff uh, and became a, as going. Chad Germer was another ex one that's doing it now. Just a lot of great people, people I've played with that have become great coaches.
1: Well, Dave, this has been awesome. The memories have been tremendous, and we'll, we'll get you out of here on this. That 1993 playoff berth, then it becomes 17 straight playoff berths. The Big Sky Championships that you guys won Part of Montana winning uh, what ultimately became 12 straight, and I think 15 out of 18. The success was unprecedented, and, and 1995 it seemed like that breakthrough sort of turned Montana from David into the Goliath. And I don't think anybody in Missoula believed the Grizz could ever lose a game <laughs> after after that moment. The expectations here are probably as high as anywhere in all of college football, and it's what makes you know living in Missoula and covering these programs so great because it, it is really uh, excellence is expected. Have you considered though the influence you guys had in terms of laying the foundation and the way that Montana was able to take off from the launch point that was the 1995 national championship up until now, here we are 25 years later and the Grizz are one of the storied programs in all of college football.
0: I think pride in that. I mean, I'm not going to say it was the house that we built, but I I do. I know for a fact that we had a big influence on uh, that facility and uh, taking the Grizz program to where it's gotten to. And there's been some bumps lately and, you know, I feel like just like every program, you got some highs and lows. Uh, the fan support, though, guess what? it is amazing now it makes it tough it makes it tough on those coaches, like you said, when they're not expected to lose, guess what you're going to lose, and you're going to have your ups and downs. so it does have a its it sense of pressure for for Bobby and his staff, but I think we'd all rather have that pressure than have people not care so uh, we, we realized the group came back and pitched in a big chunk of money for the new facility that doesn't happen very often you know athletes are spoiled uh, and our group came back and gave a quarter of a million dollars back to the university as a team and I was pretty impressed with that that shows me what type of group we have and I don't think like any of us are independently wealthy so uh, I do believe we've respected it we do think we made a difference and we're proud of that and we want to make sure we're still part of the program and, and with Coach Halleck, that's easy. He, he knows that. He, he allows the alumni to come back and be part of it. So a lot of guys still living there in Missoula. You know, Andy put together Andy Larson, a great event for me when I was back for the Hall of Fame. and A lot of the boys showed up. It was great to see them. And, and uh, hopefully we can do that again
2: soon. Well Dave we certainly appreciate your time and uh like Coulter mentioned the memories the stories and uh and uh, the experiences that many of us have had in this town 25 years ago and uh and for the last 25 years as a result appreciate it very much best to you up there in Canada and uh and we'll look forward to your return to Montana whenever it comes Sounds good guys thanks for having me on
1: Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Grizz Greats is available on all of your podcasting platforms, whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. To find all the Grizz Greats, you can just search Grizz Greats on your platforms, or you can visit grizzgreats.com or 1029ESPN.com and click on the podcast tab. Chris Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula. the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions podcast series commemorates montana's epic run to its first national crown now you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompanying this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 1995. Secure this limited-edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, a -a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley, visit rbagley3.com or... Check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link, or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and T-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today.